Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. This episode is proudly brought to you by CSIRO, Australia's national science agency and innovation catalyst. Explore the commercialization of great ideas across deep tech and science. Immerse yourself in conversations with the ambitious minds shaping Australia's unique innovation landscape. Discover their insights into what's needed to bring these remarkable ideas to life. Hello and welcome to the Commercial Disco. I'm James Riley, Editorial Director at InnovationOz.com. Today I'm speaking to Dr. Amanda White, a roboticist, Founding Director at Industrial Robotics and a General Manager at Freelance Robotics. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you, James. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to start with this one just because I think it's um, slightly weird and very interesting. Your doctorate, your PhD, is in psychology, but right now you're right into robotics. What do you take from one area into another area? What has informed your journey into the robot world? Well, I completed my PhD in a subdiscipline of psychology called psychophysics, and I knew at the time that I wouldn't be pursuing an academic career, so I moved into running a clinic. I'm registered with APRA, and I did so for 10 years. And back in, I think it was 2019, I was reading the Innovation Imperative Report because my husband is actually a mechatronics engineer, and I was very interested to see how we were developing societally to adjust to the amount of change that was taking place and that I could foresee was taking place. And there was a very important piece of information. It had stated that I believe over 800,000 jobs would be lost to automation in the coming five to 10 years, but not to be too concerned because over a million jobs would be created as part of this process of, of upskilling and upscaling. But I had a fairly clear indication to myself at that time because my primary work group was with complex comorbid diagnoses that the people soonest affected by this transition to new work types and automation, these people would not necessarily be well informed and also they may not be highly engaged. The jobs soonest affected are those that are repetitive and certainly not something that people generally consider to be a career path. But something more that when you have a complex life, it's something that you can go to work and come home and then deal with, you know, real life outside of the job. So I thought, no, without having some sort of really bottom-up developed approach, what we're going to be looking at is systemic unemployment. So I made the decision to transition. I was feeling about ready. I loved working with my clients, but I could see that there was space for me to have a greater impact and I love advocacy. So this was really the avenue by which I changed from being more heavily invested in psychological practice into evidence-based practice for societal change as we move into industry four. Okay, so just talk me through that. What do you mean by that? On the ground, like you have a couple of startup companies that are building robotic devices for specific purposes. Correct. So you're doing two things, the startup side, but you're also looking at the impact of those machines or how those machines get integrated into systems? Sure. So my hook, I guess, to come into this company world was to develop a new program, which is called RoboTradies. RoboTradies is designed for when a new technology deployment takes place. We address wastage from the start because the human and machine 
operation really is critical to be able to successfully move through not just the project deployment, but the project success. So RoboTrace is a bottom-up change management project. It's basically designed to make sure that you have an adaptive workplace that's upskilling is happening appropriately, supportively, and change management takes place also through the more white-collar sectors of a business as well so that the roadmap to success, not just for one project but for the overarching business case, gets to where it needs to go. And we make sure that we have generally, uh, as a standard rule when we go in, uh, no employees uh, let go as part of the shift into a robotic or automation-focused work environment. Does that program scale? Is this the sort of thing that rolls out statewide or, or nationwide potentially? And do you try and do kind of future mapping around new technology, where it's being applied, where it's getting traction? To answer the first question, I would love it to scale up, James. That would be wonderful. No, at the moment, it's quite a bespoke program. It's basically designed to fit in with the existing projects that are going out, particularly through industrial robotics, where we're looking at factory automation as advanced manufacturing becomes increasingly available to small to medium enterprise. When it comes to future mapping, I think that there's a lot of evidence-based practice that needs to be put in to make a solid case for where change will happen. I do think that when we look at simply AI, what we're looking at already is a large restructuring of large sectors that may not be something that you would consider is impacted already by industry force. So that might be something as simple as payroll. I may look at hospitality in the way in which we order and manage our food after COVID. And also the very fact that now platforms for online meetings has become normalised. But when we're looking at this sort of future forecasting, it's so diverse. And I think in Australia as well with the smaller population, we have this ability to both move more slowly, but also to innovate more rapidly than may be expected. So getting the roadmap accurate, I think that the strategic planning required for that is quite complex. And so I don't personally spend a lot of time on that, but I'm very interested in agencies like CSIRO that have been able to develop really good and very clear cases through their publications. Right, very interesting. Okay, now I'm going to um, go to Crockpitch. This is where you came across our radar. You had entered Crockpitch, a Darwin-based competition, I think, through the Darwin Innovation Hub and the Paspalis Innovation Investment Fund. Now, it sounds like you won a million dollars, but perhaps it wasn't quite as straightforward as that. Talk us through that. And I think that was your agricultural robotics company. Yes, absolutely. So Crockpitch is run annually, and it is run through the Darwin Innovation Hub. Now, this is an opportunity I actually really strongly recommend it. We found it to be very user-friendly, very supportive. The staff there were, I feel, very clear about where the expectations were. So we approached this because we have a consultant, Liz Alexander, who runs Frontport, and she was looking at venture capital opportunities and said, this seems to be a great next move. So we signed in and went through the process of doing an early stage pitch and and going up to Darwin. Now, the crop pitch is heavily affiliated with Northern Australia. It's really designed to facilitate outcomes for the North. So that means that the sort of projects, the sort of companies that are going in are obviously going to be providing benefit 
depending upon the sort of product or service that they're delivering. And also growth of, of new jobs, job creation is a central facet when we're looking at the downstream of the success of the projects. So this was actually the fourth round, if you like, for the Paspalis Fund. And yes, we were successful. It was really a fun day. We went in, they wanted a Shark Tank type experience. So it was 10 minutes for a million dollars, which sounds like an absolutely fantastic idea. (laughs) Sounds amazing. And it was a lot of fun. Um, There were some really great competitors there on the day. And so what we were able to do was receive the win of a million dollars. Now, this is a venture capital offer. So that means after the 10 minutes and we had a party and everyone celebrated, which was fantastic on Mindle Beach. We then entered a month of due diligence. I'm coming up to the end of that month now. So, I mean, a million dollars didn't drop into your bank account after 10 minutes, which would have been nice, but perhaps slightly unrealistic. But you've got a valuation going on and there is the potential for that investment if you can come to terms. Is that wraps it up? Yeah, yeah. And in fact, the process, I would say, has been great. I think that when people are looking to do something that is a value add, and certainly, of course, it is a venture capital firm, so they have priorities, but the wider community needs being addressed and the genuine interest in being able to create something meaningful for Northern Australia, I feel that we have a shared vision of that. So it's been really, I think, an investment, not just in the company, but we're looking to invest in advanced manufacturing as well as precision farming into the Northern Territory. So just before we get into the advanced manufacturing, your entry, correct me if I'm wrong, but was a mango picking machine or the theoretical pitch of what a mango picking machine would be and how it would operate and all, all of those sorts of things. That's right. No, the machine is pretty much in field trials, James. This is a mango auto harvester. Right. It feels part of a suite of technologies. So this mango auto harvester uses flexible silicon fingers to be able to pick the mangoes successfully. It has a five-second return cycle time. And uh, it's at the process point now of being commercialized. So This project was originally from Central Queensland University. We were able to collaborate with them through freelance robotics as a commercial vehicle to transition technology in forecastings using fruit maps as well as the Orion Vision Rig to be able to get better resource management for farms with harvesting dates being correctly allocated. And then the next step naturally was to create an auto-harvester so that the machines could go out you may be aware that there is critical labour shortage in the north and particularly for mangoes. This industry faces particular hardship when it comes to occupational health and safety because mangoes have a very acidic sap and the picking of those mangoes in excessive heat in a very short window creates a scenario where they have labour shortages every year. And the degree to which that problem has really impacted the ability for a sustainable industry means that automation systems working here really feels like a a natural next step. So the drivers for automation in the mango industry are clear. Now, Professor Kerry Walsh from CQU and his team, they spent four years developing a really fit-for-purpose system. They had deep engagement with the growers. And so... It's not like we just came in with this idea and just said, let's give it a shot. 
The reality is that we have an engaged industry, that we have a technology that is at the commercialization point with the support of an accelerating commercialization grant from Liz Industry. So this product, we're excited, is going to be entering market soon. And this opportunity through Crockpitch will get the technology to grow us sooner because we'll have the opportunity to build in the north. Sounds amazing. You've just described a, like a perfectly balanced and well-oiled innovation machine in terms of an entrepreneur, an academic institution, a government pre-revenue commercialization program, an engaged industry, uh, you know, a, a need that requires fixing. So just describe to me, where does it go from here? Like at what point are you? Are you building machines or are you going to license this to a farm equipment manufacturer? What are the options now for taking this forward? Yeah, sure. So we're at field trials now. The vision system, Orion, has pretty much finalised its bill of materials. We're hoping to be able to produce that as a marketable product within the next 12 months. What that will mean is retail sales. Now, Freelance Robotics is established engineering firm. It doesn't freelance. It's actually a mechatronics engineering firm that's designed for product development through commercialization, prototyping, custom software, custom hardware. So this well-oiled machine that you described, it didn't just magically occur. It was built off uh, over a decade of development for the way in which this business interacts with the ecosystem. So Freelance Robotics holds the exclusive license through CQU to be able to utilize this technology. Agricultural Robotics that you mentioned earlier, this is a spin-out company. Freelance is like the company builder and agricultural robotics really is sector-specific. It's not particularly going to be a mango-focused company, but the landmark technology is going to be the Orion suite for mango. So that means agricultural robotics are having the real purpose of being there for farmers means that that will be the retail entry point. But that company, that vehicle, will become the manufacturer of those machines? No, I have a feeling that will tender out. And so this is where Paspalis comes in, in fact. So we know that logistics costs huge and also risk of damage on the long haul is also a factor when we're talking about very smart systems. So the idea is that electronics and our software come from, I guess, the heart of the companies. And then we have hardware development and manufacture local to farmers. So Paspalis, $1 million, the purpose of that is advanced manufacturing. I'm looking to get off the ground a new type of supply chain for the Northern Territory, which is currently very much focused on mining, I would say. It's a pivotal piece for the Northern Territory. However, you know, when we're thinking about a supply chain resilience, diversity is really a, a positive impact factor. So this is an opportunity also to upskill and transition for equity of technology into Northern Australia. Yeah, it's quite a, an amazing story. You know, I certainly wish you all the best for success. I mean, that's exactly the kind of things that we should be doing in this country. I don't know if I'm getting too down in the weeds here, but I'm interested to hear of your experiences with the Commercialisation Australia grant through Oz Industry. Is that something you can speak to? Yeah, sure. So I imagine all of your listeners are aware that the Entrepreneurs Program was closed this year. So we considered going into the AC grant system 
very seriously about a year ago. So it would have been about September 2022, not knowing that AC was going to close. But we had intended to go into probably the first or second round of 2023. That was very doable. We had experience in going through grant processes before. We had an exceptional opportunity with a facilitator. In fact, it was Liz Alexander that I mentioned before. That's where we connected with her. She's based in Emerald and I had been traveling to central Queensland with Kerry at that time. So we just thought we'd drop in because, in fact, it was Anna Daniels from CSIRO who had connected us through. So that relational connectivity has been really a fantastic journey to be able to connect us most effectively with Oz industry. And so we sat down, we thought, yeah, let's do this. I think that it's uh, going to be a huge push for this product to be timely and it's certainly going to be needed. The mango growers are asking for it. So let's get the government on board. We went into the January round and were successful so that we had our grant executed before mid-year. But at that time, obviously, there was transitions taking place. I believe the industry growth program, which isn't the replacement of accelerating commercialization, but appears to be its natural child, will be commencing in October. So we unexpectedly maybe had a different experience to many AC grant awardees, but certainly it was good. And I'm very interested to see what industry growth will bring to develop startups and other technology forms for the Australians. Yeah, I guess uh, it's a bit hard to say, isn't it? I mean, we're still trying to find out a little bit about uh, how that will operate, but on paper, it looks like, yes, it's the a natural successor to what the accelerating commercialization grant scheme anecdotally obviously but of the people who i have spoken to over you know a long period of time who have been recipients of that grant speak very highly of it and uh, seems to have had the impact it was supposed to have now i want to move on industrial robotics what projects have you got on the boil now like and, and are those kind of based on that core orion platform you talked about before Completely different, James. All right. So what do we got? So just to probably provide some context for what we're talking about here. So you mentioned Freelance Robotics before being the company builder. Now, Freelance Robotics has been in the market for about 13, 14 years as a commercially viable entity. So it didn't rely on venture capital or grants. It was really about building technology systems that worked. And so over that period of time, it became clear that this was going to be a services-based company and scaling up is obviously more complicated. So there was a corporate restructure when I came on board and I said, hey, I think it's time to start doing sector-specific deliverables because having such a strong interest in ensuring that we are getting the right support to be able to upskill and provision the different businesses, the different users, the operators of this technology, we need to do deep dives. Also, we speak better to the investors and the business when we're not sort of doing everything for everyone all of the time. Industrial Robotics was the first spin-off from the company builder. It's been in market now for about two years, and the focus of industrial robotics has always been advanced manufacturing. Just before COVID broke, you may recall that the World Economic Forum allocated Queensland as an advanced manufacturing hub globally. Now, that allocation was not made because we were doing something necessarily exceptional, but because we had an exceptional problem, which is across nationally, approximately 50% of manufacturing concerns are small businesses that have 20 or fewer employees. 
So what that means for the ability for those businesses to invest in technology has been limited. Often these businesses might just be making the month or they have one key contract that they're fulfilling. They also have sometimes very low batch, high mix of the parts that they're producing. And this is not well suited to what robotics historically has done. So when the World Economic Forum was here and I attended the meetings, I thought, okay, I can understand we have a problem to solve. The company then set out to solve that problem. And I'm happy to say that I believe we have successfully created a landmark technology. It's a world-first technology called Blue Dragon Framework, which is designed to go into smaller businesses, although also equally effective in corporates or large scale. And what we have here is an IoT, an Industrial Internet of Things, which allows for repeat manufacturing using a robotic arm and the end effect that we're using most commonly is welding systems to be able to work without part positioning. So that system can essentially read the part and then be trained without having to have staff with high digital literacy. So even a very basic person when it comes to engineering or script or programming is able to run robot with low batch high volume. We're talking to Dr. Amanda White, founding director of Agricultural Robotics. I want to just come back to you on Queensland and expertise in Queensland. Is it just me? Australia does seem to have quite some depth of expertise in this area. I know that the CSIRO has got a uh, very strong robotics practice and all the software that goes with it. There's all sorts of uh, robotics CRCs in Queensland. How do we rate in the world? You're out and about and looking at potential competitors or collaborators. What do you see? How do we rank ourselves? Australia's domestic market is smaller compared to major players like the United States, Europe and Asia. So scaling up robotics projects and production can be a real challenge here. But Australia has been making advancements in robotics technology, particularly in R&D. So you mentioned a a number of opportunities for development of R&D inside of Queensland in particular, but we face unique challenges and we also have opportunities in various industries. So where do we rank? I think that's a difficult question to answer because you really have to start to pull apart all of those elements that make for success in the ecosystem that is robotics. There's the R&D factor, manufacturing access to capital, and then there's talent and collaboration. So where I see Australia really shining is, in fact, in talent and collaboration, attracting and retaining talent, fostering collaboration between academia, industry, government. This is essential for us to be able to, I feel, create a roadmap of success. But we are not at the start of that process. In fact, I would say that we have walked quite a long journey to be able to create meaningful connections. and. Having the support of government to be able to create outcomes for community, this is where it gets interesting because Australia has, in my mind, to get what I call tech equity happening. That means that the technology that we are resourcing needs to go out into remote and rural Australia, that persons who aren't located in the city CBD, they need to be able to have access to the skills development to be able to upskill themselves and be able to harness what this revolution that we're going through really means for local community. And a good example of that is, in fact, Starlink. Now, if you go out and 
start to walk the vast tracks of large farms, one of the things that might be quite surprising is that Starlink has been deployed depending upon the grower or the farmer that you're spending time with. And this means that you now have capability for smart systems and connectivity in incredibly remote areas. So this is no longer an idea. It's actually about how do we collapse a strategy that is going to be able to not only create tech equity, but then do the sustaining part of that feedback loop. Because I actually think that the capability map of where robotics is in Australia, if we start to include people that we may not historically have looked at when we're talking about the World Economic Forum, but the dreamers and doers that are out there, I think that we start to find that we have a really exciting and highly ranked nation. Yeah, quite amazing. I guess of an industry that does have scale is obviously the resources sector and own robotics and remote automation type products are second to none in the world, I suppose. So that tech equity question is quite fascinating. And in relation to getting out into the regions, I know Julia Spicer talks about getting into the regions a lot with this kind of thing. And the agricultural sector in Australia, yes, I guess would be ripe for picking in the robotics sense. So if we want to talk about agricultural robotics in Australia, the landscape in agriculture is unique due to the outdoor environment, the crop variability and specific tasks involved. So agriculture takes place in outdoor environments largely that can be challenging for robots. Robots used in agriculture must be designed to operate in varying weather conditions, including rain, extreme temperatures, and they also need to navigate uneven, unpredictable terrain, which can be very different to the controlled environments of indoor facilities that are common to other industries. And when we're talking about working with living organisms like plants and the natural variations in soil composition, those robots must be adaptable to different crop types, field conditions, and they require sophisticated sensing and control systems to make decisions on planting, harvesting, and managing crops effectively. So what we need to think about is farms are often located in remote areas which may lack easy access to electrical outlets or fuel sources. So when we think about agricultural robots, they often need to rely on renewable energy sources like solar power or have advanced energy management systems to operate autonomously for extended periods. Agriculture is increasingly data-driven, with farmers using data to optimise crop management. Robotic solutions in agriculture should not only perform physical tasks, but also collect and analyse data to help farmers make informed decisions. And this requires robust data storage, transmission, analytic capabilities. So when we start to think about farms typically larger in scale compared to other industries, the cost effectiveness and scalability of robotic solutions are crucial in agriculture. Developers must consider how to make robots cost efficient and applicable to a wide range of farm sizes across Australia. And I guess to your earlier point, you've got to have a skilled workforce to drive these robots effectively or to manage all the things that need to be managed. And that is not a small technical issue. Amanda White, thank you very much for being on the Commercial Disco. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Congratulations on Croc Pitch. We will certainly be watching very closely to see what happens with that and what happens with agricultural robotics. It sounds like you've really underway and you've got some momentum. Thanks, Jane. It's been a pleasure. for joining us on this episode of the Commercial Disco podcast, proudly brought to you by CSIRO. 
Don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you heard us. For the latest on tech, innovation and public policy, visit innovationoz.com. And stay connected with us on social media to ask questions or suggest future guests. Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you an inspired week ahead.